The following program is a recording of a live broadcast transmitted 7 a.m. Beijing time. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Sunday, April twenty first, two thousand nineteen. Welcome to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. Coming up on our program this morning, China's Navy is set to put on a major show this week in Qingdao to mark the seventieth anniversary of the PLA Navy's founding. Switzerland's president among those arriving in Beijing to take part in this week's Belt and Road Forum. Another satellite being added to China's ever-expanding Beidou satellite navigation system. Number of new electric vehicle models being unveiled at the Shanghai Auto Show. Iraqi officials hosting a one-day summit among regional players and rivals in Baghdad. In the second half, we'll catch up with some of the film industry insiders who took part in the now-concluded Beijing International Film Festival. First, your headline news. Chinese President Xi Jinping issuing a call for people across this country to learn more about the historic May Fourth Movement. This comes as preparations kick into high gear for the 100th anniversary of the event next month. Launched from the former Peking University campus directly east of the Forbidden City, students and intellectuals leading thousands who came out to protest the then Chinese government's inability to reclaim Chinese territory from foreign powers in the Treaty of Versailles, which ended World War One. The march through the heart of Beijing on May Fourth, nineteen nineteen, and its subsequent demonstrations, thought by many to be the catalyst for the eventual formation of the Communist Party of China, just two years later, in calling on people to study the history of the May Fourth movement, Xi Jinping suggesting the event should be used to motivate today's younger generation to play a more active role in national rejuvenation. Four people are confirmed dead following a landslide in Chongqing this past week. Sudden downpour triggering the landslide in a remote area south of Chongqing proper on Friday afternoon. Two homes were crushed by over 10,000 cubic meters of rock and soil. The bodies of the victims recovered on Saturday. Local meteorological department warning of the possibility of more slides in the region due to the heavy rains which have been inundating Chongqing this weekend. Chinese authorities moving to try to tighten up regulations connected to studies involving human genes or embryos. New item added to the country's draft civil code stipulating that those conducting medical or scientific studies in this area are going to have to abide by laws, administrative rules, and regulations connected to genetic testing.、It、also notes that people's health should not be harmed, nor should any ethical or moral standards be violated. Clause now undergoing a second reading among lawmakers with the National People's Congress. The inclusion of the new item comes months after the highly controversial birth of twin girls who had their genes edited to give them a natural immunity to the HIV virus. A three-day nationwide referendum underway in Egypt, with voters deciding whether to approve proposed changes to the country's constitution. Key to the amendments are an extension of a president's term in office from four to six years, as well as allowing an Egyptian president to hold office for two consecutive terms. The ballot also included a special article specific to incumbent President Abdel, Felt,、uh, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, rather,、uh, which would allow him to extend his current four-year term to a six-year term, while also allowing him to run for another six-year term in 2024. If approved, the constitutional changes could mean that Sisi has the potential to remain in office until 2030. A former army general, Sisi, leading the military-backed ouster of Islamist President Mohamed Morsi, then successfully running for president in 2014, Sisi re-elected for a second term this past year. 
Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and the stories that matter to you. Search for China Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Four minutes past the hour. Chinese naval officials detailing some of the events which are going to be held in Qingdao this week to help mark the 70th anniversary of the founding of the Chinese Navy. We get the details from CRI's Wen Jie. The deputy commander of the Chinese Navy, Zhou Yanpeng, unveiled the lineup of Chinese vessels taking part in the parade. Chinese warships taking part in the review include aircraft carrier Liaoning, new nuclear submarines, and new destroyers and naval aircraft. Some of which will be on display for the first time. Altogether, 32 navy vessels and 39 warplanes will take part in the event. The vessels will sail in six groups, namely submarines, destroyers, frigates, landing ships, auxiliary ships, and the aircraft carrier. The planes include airborne early warning aircraft, reconnaissance planes, anti-submarine patrol aircraft, helicopters, bombers, and landing sea-based fighters. Chu Yanpeng also announced that naval vessels from other countries will be joining the celebrations. Besides China, nearly 20 warships from over 10 countries, including Russia, Thailand, Vietnam, and India, will take part in the review. These warships, consisting of destroyers, frigates, and landing warships, are representatives of the naval power of these countries. Together with the Chinese warships, they will show the world the firm determination of these countries to uphold peace and seek common development. More than 60 countries will be sending delegations to join events marking the anniversary, and over 30 countries will be sending senior navy leaders to participate. The commemorative events, which will run from April 22nd to the 25th, include high-level seminars and cultural and sports exchanges. The Chinese military says the events are expected to strengthen communication and understanding between the participating navies, and create opportunities for their leaders to discuss issues of maritime security cooperation. April 23rd marks the 70th founding anniversary of the Chinese Navy. For CRI. I'm Wenjie. The president of Switzerland being honored with a state visit here to China this week as part of his trip to Beijing to attend the Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation. Sierra's Yang Guang with more on how the Swiss government intends to play a larger role in the Belt and Road Initiative. The president of the Swiss Confederation Ueli Mauger said his participation in this year's Belt and Road Forum will include discussions about both short and long-term cooperation. In the medium to long term, we should aim to build a stable network and increase our understanding of Chinese culture and the way Chinese people behave. In the short term, there's a need for sustainable projects that play a role as a lighthouse for our cooperation. These projects should be accepted into our society and be financially stable. We can dispel people's doubts by showing them some positive results from these projects and prepare them for more in the future. President Mauger said that even though Switzerland was not a key location on the Belt and Road, it can still have a role to play. I think Switzerland can be a bridge between Europe and Asia. Switzerland is an open economy. 
and is committed to creating a good business environment for enterprises, allowing them to play to their full advantage in finance, investment, insurance, and other areas, and achieve success in the free market. Swiss enterprises can provide high-quality and low-cost services. Switzerland is also home to many international organizations, especially in Geneva. From this perspective, Switzerland is also very important to China. Many experts believe that the Belt and Road Initiative is a concrete measure that enables more and more countries to benefit from globalization at a time when the move towards more global integration is facing severe challenges. President Mao also praised China for taking on more global responsibility. The Belt and Road Initiative has created a new dimension for the world economy, because no other country in the world can forge such a long-term strategy. So it is indeed a centenary project. If the initiative wins the trust of other countries, it will be an ambitious project that will benefit the global economy and people around the world. China and Switzerland signed free trade agreement back in 2013, and the two sides established an innovative strategic partnership in 2016. President Mao believes two countries are ready to upgrade their bilateral cooperation, including in the trade of goods and services. And during his visit to China, he expects to see the two countries sign the Belt and Road Deal. Specifically, I think there are several areas in particular where we can further develop our cooperation. One is in financial markets. We are hoping to see China open its financial markets further. Another area is technology development, especially in finance and blockchain. We can also work together in the insurance industry and sustainable development, where we have rich knowledge and experience. We are also going to sign a memorandum of understanding with China on cooperation in third-party markets. In 2017, President Mao attended the first Belt and Road Forum as Switzerland's finance minister. The three-day Belt and Road Forum is due to start on April the 25th. For CRI, I'm Yang Guang. The head of an international social and economic think tank among those who have arrived in Beijing ahead of this week's Belt and Road Forum here in Beijing, Helga Zepp-Larouche. Widow of late U.S. political stalwart Lyndon Larouche, the founder of the Schiller Institute, she says her organization supports the fundamental principles which guide the Belt and Road Initiative. It's not just about economic cooperation. Other aspects of the new Silk Road will become more prominent, like the cultural Silk Road, a dialogue of cultures of the best traditions of all countries, but also the space Silk Road. And、uh, so I think the.、Uh, You know, perspective is very bright. I think it's a new model of international relations, which has not existed before, and it corresponds to the nature of man. And therefore, I will. I think it will succeed. Zeppelin-Rouge says the Belt and Road Forum this week should help solidify support for the initiative among those already involved. We experienced the creation of a completely new system of international relations, and I think that will become even more. Uh, clear in the coming Belt and Road Forum because in the meantime a lot of things have happened,、uh, a positive development, but also more attacks on China, but also you know more developing countries defending China、uh, against the accusations of debt trap and all of these arguments because you know it has brought for these de- developing countries an incredible hope and optimism that they can overcome poverty. 
for the first time they have this perspective. The Schiller Institute advocating for the political and social philosophies championed by Lyndon LaRouche, among which more interconnectivity between Europe and Asia. LaRouche himself running unsuccessfully for U.S. president in each election from 1974 to 2004. He died this past February at the age of 96. Another link in the Beidou Navigation Satellite System being put into orbit. The newly launched BDS-3 satellite is the first one in an inclined geosynchronous Earth orbit. It's the 44th BDS satellite to be put into orbit as part of the broader Beidou system and the 20th in the BDS-3 family. BDS-3 satellites designed to provide satellite navigation services to Belt and Road member countries outside the Asia-Pacific region. Yang Changfeng is the chief designer of the BDS-3 satellites. The BDS has been used in services such as confirming land ownership in Indonesia, building construction in Kuwait, land survey and mapping in Uganda, time service for airports in Pakistan, and electric power inspection in Russia. The BDS products with high precision have been exported to over 90 countries and regions, and the country is also building Beidou continuously operating reference stations overseas. Construction of the Beidou navigation satellite system began in the 1990s. The system started serving the Asia-Pacific region back in 2012, and Beidou began offering up global services at the end of this past year. The once poverty-stricken village of Hongqi, northeast China, being held up as a model for ethnic tourism development in this country. CRI's Huang Yu with more on how the ethnic Korean community in Hongqi using its culture to create financial opportunities. When you first stop in the small village of Hongqi, located at the foot of the Changbai Mountains, you will probably be greeted with folk songs and dances performed by villagers dressed in traditional ethnic Korean costumes. And look around, some austere bungalows with gray overhanging eaves are neatly laid out. Loudspeakers keep broadcasting in both Mandarin and Korean. Hongqi is home to around 100 people from the Korean ethnic minority. Hongqi is billed as China's number one Korean ethnic village. 59-year-old Zhao Zhefan, head of the Hongqi Village Committee, says villagers now can share the benefits of the booming tourism industry. Regarding tourism, over the past three years, it reached the peak in 2018. We received around 450,000 visitors last year. In our village, there are now 36 families that have turned their home into guest houses, so our village can accommodate 200 tourists every night. The average income of each villager was around 8,000 yuan last year. However, Hongqi village was not always this way. It used to be the most impoverished village within the Yanbian Korean Autonomous Prefecture in Jilin due to the simplex industrial structure. Villagers used to earn their livings only by farming, but frequent seasonal flooding dramatically affected harvests. In the late 1980s, Jin Zhengguo, former official of the local rural construction committee, decided to take advantage of the village's Korean ethnic customs to develop tourism. He spent four years moving the whole village from a riverside to a roadside where tourists must pass by when they travel to the Changbai Mountains. The village also put a priority on designing the facades of the village homes. Jin Jungle also put forward a number of thoughts into the interior designs of the homes. 
What I feel the proudest is that when we started to rebuild the village, I insisted that each family must have the indoor toilet. At that time, we didn't have enough money to realize that, so I required them to make room for the indoor toilets, and we laid sewer lines. When time was ripe for installing the sanitary wells, we would be able to use the indoor bathrooms. Meng Fanbin, former party secretary of Hongqi, says in order to introduce the village to tourists, he went to several cities to give out pamphlets. In 2004, three people in our village, including me, went to several cities such as Yanji, Mudanjiang, Harbin, Jilin, and Changchun to introduce our village. We went to travel agencies in these cities, and we stayed at each travel agency for around an hour and a half to negotiate with them and introduce the ethnic characteristics of our village. We wanted to attract more tourists in this way. These endeavors have paid off. Working in cooperation with a tourism company, Hongqi has become one of the must-visit spots when people travel to the Changbai Mountains. Chen Shaoke, manager of the tourism company, says they have more plans for the village in the future. Our company has cooperated with Hongqi Village for eight years. In the future, we will enrich the tourism programs and improve infrastructure. For example, we have prepared an ethnic musical drama, which will be staged in the village. And during summertime, there are lots of tourists. Therefore, in addition to the guest houses, we will also build a hotel here, which can accommodate 200 to 300 people. For CRI, I'm Huang Yue in Yanbian, Korean Autonomous Prefecture. This year's Beijing International Film Festival wrapping up with the Tiantan Awards being doled out last night to close out the event. Best Director Award being given to Hungary's Laszlo Nemes for his film Sunset. Eris Severtalis from Greece taking the Best Actor Award for his role in The Waiter. Iran's Foro Gajabeli taking the Best Actress Award for her work in Tehran, City of Love. Best Feature Film, going to Danish production, A Fortunate Man. Billy August, directing A Fortunate Man. I'm so surprised and so honored. This is really, really great. Thank you very much to the Beijing Film Festival. Uh, It's not the first time I'm here. I was here two years ago, and it's the most beautiful festival. And also, thank you, of course, to the jury. You know, I've been making films in... China, and I love China, and the culture has always meant a lot to me, so also, therefore this prize means a lot to me. Chinese film The 11th Chapter taking this year's award for Best Screenplay, hit Chinese sci-fi production The Wandering Earth taking this year's award for Best Visual Effects. A number of up-and-coming Chinese filmmakers coming together as part of the now-concluded Beijing International Film Festival to discuss some of the early challenges they had to overcome to gain a foothold in the industry. We get more from CRI's Zhao Jianfu. 29-year-old Chinese director Qiu Sheng won the award for Best Drama Award at the International Film Festival in Xining last year for his maiden film, Suburban Birds. As one of the leading new generation of directors, Chiu says the biggest challenge is to tell stories in the right way. 
签导演，我觉得主要遇到的一个问题，可能还是。I think the major issue a youth director needs to face is how to let others listen to his story and be convinced. Nowadays, there's often a generation gap between young director and decision makers. Their concerns are different. Most of the time, young directors want to present more individual experiences and youth issues. I met with a lot of problems with this when financing my film. At the Beijing Film Festival Salon event, the young director Gu Xiaogang, who is renowned for his film Dwelling in the Fuchun Mountains, spoke about the difficulty of holding a film crew together. Sometimes it's difficult to maintain the consistent running of a project. At the start of my career, I didn't have much experience, and I didn't expect shooting would take so long. Then managing and keeping the actors became the biggest test, because you can't guarantee you'll have the same crew for two straight years for one film production. This was the most difficult issue, and it took us the most work. In the eyes of Liang Ming, a young Chinese director who won the Venture Capital Project Award at last year's Beijing Film Festival, working out how to gain the recognition of investors and find a producer were the keys to a successful project. There has been a lot more support for young directors in recent years than there has been in the past. Many film companies will participate in the cultivation of young directors, and for young directors, the most important thing is to get approval of investors as well as a good script. It's very important to find a reliable producer. It makes your job easier than fighting alone. Faced with these problems, the new generation of filmmakers is exploring their own approaches with some success. Qiu Sheng said that it's only by sticking with their original intention and constantly adjusting and absorbing the wisdom of others that young directors can create good work. Making a movie is a process with its own flow. The script is one part, casting and choosing scenes is another part. You must keep an open mind and constantly change your script, as well as your scheduling and dialogue settings. At the same time, you should also be loyal to the film's original idea and vision. Only by going through this process by yourself can you accept advice from a literary consultant. Sometimes the actors might not be suitable for their roles, and you have to rewrite your script. You also need to hear suggestions from editors. Then the work can finally be a classic one. In effort to foster the international vision of young Chinese filmmakers, every year the Beijing Film Festival Organizing Committee sponsors two projects to go to the Cannes Film Festival, so that some of China's best young talents can learn from some of the world's best movie makers. For CRI, I'm Zhao Dianfu. Automakers showcasing their latest concept cars at this year's Shanghai Auto Show. Luxury. Roominess and automation—some of the more prominent themes on display. Sierra Zanelli Butelesi with more on some of the electric vehicles being unveiled at the event. Car enthusiasts are being treated to a display of new and never seen before electric vehicles at Auto Shanghai, including the U7 Ion concept car from the Chinese electric vehicle startup Aways. The four-door electric vehicle features a foldable table. Multiple touch screens and a robot that glides across the interior of the roof. The design is focused around offering passengers more space and comfort. Alexander Kasten Closer 
is the executive vice president for overseas operations and product strategy at Airways. People here are more used to using uh, battery electric vehicles. Uh, and we have more data and more, more feedback already what works and what doesn't work. So we have more experience in that field. That's what we think is our biggest advantage. At the same time, uh, we have a lot of people in our company which are from the traditional car makers. So we know how to make a car to the highest quality standards. Also at this year's show, BMW has rolled out an all-new iNext concept car. The fully electric vehicle boasts autonomous driving capability and an interior with wooden floors, couch-like seats and a minimalist-style dash. Peter Note is on the board at BMW AG. He said the group is investing a lot in automated driving technology. You see here on the stand our BMW iNex, which is what I call the incubator of everything that BMW has to offer in terms of innovation. Of course, it's fully electric with a range of 600 kilometers, but it also offers a very high level of automated driving uh, capabilities and 5G is important uh, to that. So BMW Group, is, um, as far as I know, the first international manufacturer that obtained a uh, license for automated road tests uh, here in Shanghai. Consumers still have a couple of years to wait before they can take the iNext out for a spin. BMW is set to start building the production model of the iNext in Germany in 2021. Automakers are in a race to develop new energy technologies as well as intelligent transport systems. But Cui Dongxu, the Secretary General of the China Passenger Car Association, says manufacturers are also being laden with increasing production costs. We think the technology is developing too fast. So the enterprises are now facing a huge investment in technology for exploration and development. Meanwhile, Closer believes China is catching up with Europe and the United States on technological innovation. He's confident the European market is ready for a Chinese brand electric car, adding that they recognize the country as having an advantage in development. Another key factor may also be that vehicles made in China are more affordable than any other electric vehicles currently on the market. China is moving very fast uh, these days. I think we also see some new concepts coming out of the US or of Europe. Uh, It's just not going to be the way uh, it was in the past that uh, innovations only came from one area of the world. Now they will come from everywhere. People in Shanghai can check out these new electric cars along with all of the other latest trends in the automotive industry at the National Exhibition and Convention Center until April 25. For CRI, I'm Zanele Butelezi. Quick check on what's happening on the international front. One-day summit of regional players in the Middle East wrapping up in Baghdad on Saturday. Organized by the Iraqi government, the summit being put together to try to generate regional support for the rebuilding efforts in Iraq. Countries involved, including Turkey, Jordan, Syria and Kuwait, as well as regional rivals Saudi Arabia and Iran. Observers suggesting the roughly three-hour session also meant to be a signal that the Iraqi government wants to take on the role of a regional mediator rather than a regional power. Iraqi Parliamentary Speaker Mohammed al-Habusi chairing the session on Saturday. Today, Iraq is building a promising strategic partnership with all neighboring countries without any reservations or favoring any party. What binds us to our neighbors is the common geographical destiny, bilateral interests, social relations, and our religion. 
The Iraqi government has been moving to try to mend ties with its neighbors following decades of animosity under the government of former Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein. Saudi authorities recently reopening a consular office in Iraq, which had been shut down after the kingdom broke ties with Baghdad following the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait during the first Gulf War back in 1991. Quick check on what's happening on the weather front before we take a short break here on the Beijing Hour. Pretty nice day shaping up uh, here in the Chinese capital. Uh, that rain which rolled through yesterday seems to have left us by. Uh, sunshine expected throughout much of the day. Uh, high toward 22 today. Uh, overnight temperatures down to around 8. Down south Guangzhou, heavy rain, high of 28. Shaman, light rain during the day, high of 26. And Hefei, thunder showers, high of 24. Still to come... We'll catch up with some of the film industry insiders who took part in the now-concluded Beijing International Film Festival. It's Paul James with you. Stay with us here on the Beijing Hour. What matters to China increasingly matters to the world. Keep up to date with the latest news and events about the Middle Kingdom with the China Plus app. Up-to-the-minute reports, live streaming audio, insightful opinion on everything China-related, facts, figures, and language learning resources at your fingertips. Everything in focus, all in one place. Search for China Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Join the most popular Chinese language learning page on Facebook by searching for CRI Learn Chinese. It's a quick yet fun way to achieve your language goals. Start your free lessons now with unlimited videos, photos, and text tutorials on expressions and Chinese culture. CRI Learn Chinese Facebook page. A world opens with you. Hao. Want to know what's trending in China? China Plus News Facebook page helps you to discover the real China. From the latest news to quirky Chinese inventions, videos, photos, live streaming, and more. Join in the conversation today by searching for China Plus News on Facebook and discover its news, its people, its traditions, and culture. China Plus News Facebook page. Open your eyes to the real China. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Sunday morning, still to come here on the Beijing Hour. We're going to catch up with some of the film industry bigwigs who took part in the now-concluded Beijing International Film Festival this past week. Just a reminder, a few ways to keep in contact with us here on the Beijing Hour. If you are on either Facebook or on Twitter, uh, you can follow us on either of those sites by simply typing in China Plus News into the search bar, and we will pop up that way. Uh, throughout your day, go to our website as well. Get all the latest news and information from China Radio International. That is chinaplus.cri.cn. And if you want to contact us directly, send us an email, Beijing Hour at cri.com.cn. 31 minutes past the hour. As mentioned, this year's Beijing International Film Festival drawing to a close, with filmmakers and actors being honored last night at the Tiantan Awards ceremony. Now, this past week, seeing film industry players from various parts of the world descending on Beijing for the annual event. So our Neil and Nikoa caught up with some of them this past week to get their thoughts on the Chinese film industry and the country as a whole.
I do understand that this is your first time coming to Beijing. So far, um, what are your impressions of the city and uh, what are your impressions more specifically uh, of this particular festival? Um, well, yeah, I, Beijing is beautiful. I have it, I'm actually going to the Forbidden City and I'm going to uh, Tiananmen Square just to get some culture. But it, it reminds me of Los Angeles. It's sunny. Um, at the same time, it's a little cool and dry. Um, and it's got lots of traffic. Um, but I've enjoyed myself. And, and I think the festival has um, some interesting films. But I also love the aspect of it being um, affiliated with the China Film Archive. So it's playing historical films. And I think a lot of um, talking to, to some people who are from Beijing, who live in Beijing, they like to go see the historical films. They like to go see Gone with the Wind and Goodfellas um, because they've never seen them. And this festival gives them an opportunity to see these epic old films that never were released here. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, both both the the festival and the city have been very welcoming and very warm, and um, look forward to coming back. Right now, obviously, when you were coming to Beijing, you had. Uh expectations. I'm just curious to know, I know the film festival is still going on, but so far, have those expectations been met or even exceeded? Um, I don't know that I had much expectations. I've never been here, so I didn't really project too much, but um, I've been very taken care of and I've been very welcomed. So I think, you know, the idea that I was coming to a new place and, and not knowing what I was, you know, getting into has been um, alleviated by having a lot of people come and um, talk to me and be interested in talking about doing producing together, talking about U.S.-Chinese co-productions, and even more importantly, um, talking about what, you know, what art house cinema is and what it, what it means to do storytelling. And I think that exchange is the most important thing Mm -hmm. the exchange of ideas and about how we can support each other and do cultural exchanges that's what's most interesting Mm -hmm. so you just talked about doing co-productions between mostly china and say like hollywood Mm -hmm. how do you think this market has impacted you as a filmmaker in terms of how you you tell your stories from compared to before i don't i don't think it has impacted me I, i i've i've um you know, I, I, in 2015, I, I did a, a, a U.S.-China, uh, actually it was more like a China-U.S. co-production called Beijing, New York, with a filmmaker named Rain Lee. Uh, we filmed uh, 18 days in New York and four days in Beijing, uh, which was, um, you know, quite an interesting film. It's a love triangle uh, between a Chinese woman living in New York uh, and she falls in love with an American guy who's a photographer and sort of teaches her how to follow her dreams. And at the same time, she's being pursued by a, uh, uh, an old friend of hers who's made a lot of money in China and wants her to come home and marry him. Um, at the, at the second level, that's the A story of, it, of the love triangle. The B story was actually about the connectedness between the U.S. and China and how in 2008 the economic bubble burst made us all feel um, connected because the, the the political and economic fallout from that affected everybody. Um, and, and now I think, you know, the idea that the U.S.-China co-production is evolving, and of course we all know The Meg, but then there's also films like The Farewell, uh, which is um, 
uh, what's her, Aquafina? Do, do you know this actor? Mm-hmm. Aquafina from Crazy Rich Asians? Yes. She's the lead in a sort of story about an, uh, American born Chinese coming home to, to be here in China when her grandmother's dying. And this film is a, is a very, um, natural fit for the U.S.-China co-production. And it's, uh, it's already sold. It, it played at Sundance, sold for $7 million to A24, one of the best distributors in the U.S. It is now just coming here to look for distribution. Mm-hmm. And I think stories like that are, are, are finding their place. I, I, I think sometimes they get forced into happening and it, and it doesn't work. But when you, when you have a filmmaker or a storyteller that has a genuine story to tell that can blend the, the U.S.-China co-production elements in a way that is supporting the story and not creating the story. Mm-hmm. I think too many people are like saying, okay, well, the business is driving this idea. We can use American elements and Chinese elements and American investment and Chinese elements, and we can shoot there and shoot here. What's the story? That's not how it works. The story goes, oh, wait. Here's a great story about an American-born Chinese woman who wants to go home to see her dying grandmother. Oh, wait, it, 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 it fulfills the parameters of a U.S.-Chinese co-production. That's an interesting way to exploit that. And in that case, uh, in your own opinion, how do you think uh, China could learn from Hollywood and Hollywood learn from China in terms of filmmaking and productions? Are there lessons that both sides can learn from each other? I mean, that's, that's already been taking place for a long time. There are, they've been learning from each other. I think, um, the success of the wandering earth in the U.S. is interesting because it's not an art house film. It's basically, um, elevated filmmaking and, uh, it's a genre that works. It's the sci-fi genre, but it's all Chinese people, all Chinese faces. Speaking in Mandarin, and guess what? That film has been released in the U.S., and it's made over $6 million in box office, which probably is not a lot in Chinese box office standards, but that's a significant, uh, that's a significant release. Mm -hmm. Making $6 million in the U.S. box office where they're speaking a foreign language, you're looking at foreign faces. I think that's an interesting moment in the evolution of, of, the back and forth and the cultural exchanges that are going on. And it's not just an art house film that we all know from, uh, back in the day, which was Raise the Red Lantern and, and, uh, Farewell My Concubine. This is a all Chinese film and it's a major budget project that is actually competing for the dollars that the Marvel films are competing for because it's in the AMC and it's in the Regal Theater. It's not in the Art House Theater. It's not at the Film Forum. It's not at the Metrograph. It's not at Sunshine. It's not at AFI. It's at AMC and Regal, and those are where all the big Hollywood films play. So it's interesting to see a Chinese film break into that market. Mm-hmm. And finally, where do you see the Chinese movie industry going? Do you think Chinese films are going to be embraced the same way China has really embraced um, movies from Hollywood? No, I don't see that happening. Why? Why do you think so? Uh, I think Americans are too, um, um, you know, too insulated. Americans are, I mean, it's, it's, it, I think it's well known that Americans don't even have passports. Right, Americans are. You're here. <laughs> I mean, I have a passport, and I'm, I'm, but I'm not the typical American. I think yeah. a lot of Americans are, are, 
are not worldly. They don't look outside the borders of America and they don't, I mean, we're probably the only country in the world that doesn't teach our children a second language. And I think we are exporting what beauty is. And I think that um, has an impact on what we will and what we won't watch. And I think it's unfortunate, mm-hmm. but I, I, I won't lie to you and say that, that, that Chinese films are going to one day become successful in the U S they, they, they might have, um, uh, gradual growth like the wandering earth. And I think part of the wandering earth success is that there are more Chinese speaking people in America. There's more Chinese Americans in America. And that's part of that box office success for the wandering earth is Chinese Americans but it is beyond that, so don't uh, don't get me wrong. The, the wandering earth success is partly Chinese Americans, but partly also non-Chinese Americans going and seeing this film because it's a a well-made sci-fi film and people like that genre. Mm-hmm. And uh, my final question is: so far, how would you describe China? The China that you've seen since you've been here? Yeah, um, you know what? I, I I don't know. Let me think about that. Um, I, I think China is very cordial. I think it's, it's been a warm experience. I think, um, the, the, you know, my, my three, four days in Beijing have been, um, very friendly and, and. How about the Chinese food here? Is it the same as what you're used to when you have a Chinese dish in America? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, <laughs> I've, uh, I've lived, I live in, uh, Sunset Park, Brooklyn, which has a very big Chinatown, and my offices were in Chinatown in, in Manhattan. I've eaten Peking duck in both places, but I will say the New York Peking duck is better than the, than the Beijing Peking duck. Is that? <laughs> How so? I mean. <laughs> Really, what what makes it so different? Is it because here? Not, I just said it was better. I didn't say it was that different. Okay. So you're making that up. Okay. All, All right. right. Okay. Thank you so much yeah. for your time, and I hope you enjoyed the rest of your stay. Thank you. All right. Bye. Thank you. Coming up. It would be nice, very nice, if a really great Chinese film wins a prize at the New York Film Festival. Want to know what's trending in China? China Plus News Facebook page helps you to discover the real China. From the latest news to quirky Chinese inventions, videos, photos, live streaming, and more. Join in the conversation today by searching for China Plus News on Facebook and discover its news, its people, its traditions, and culture. China Plus News Facebook page. Open your eyes to the real China. Now, Sid Garnis is a Hollywood executive and former president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. Garnis has had a distinguished career in Hollywood as an executive at major studios and currently serves as a co-chair of the New York Chinese Film Festival. My colleague Caroline Wu caught up with him to hear his thoughts on the ongoing Beijing International Film Festival. How much industry attention is being focused on the Beijing International Film Festival? Yeah, more and more industry attention is being paid to the Beijing International Film Festival because the Beijing International Film Festival is now a major film festival in the world. Ranks along with, you know, the Sundance Film Festival and 
the Telluride Festival, and certainly your Shanghai Film Festival as well. So it's a big festival, so people pay attention to it. I'm paying attention to it. I'm here. Can films with shortlist here in Beijing generate enough industry buzz to gain access to more prominent festivals such as Sundance or Cannes? I definitely think so. I think that films that are noticed here and recognized here、uh, are then noticed at other film festivals around the world. And Cannes is a perfect good example of it. Cannes has always been interested in、uh, Chinese films, and、uh, now even more. And Chinese films win prizes at the Cannes Film Festival.、Mm-hmm. It would be nice, very nice, if a really great Chinese film wins a prize. You know, at the New York Film Festival, many Oscar movies focus on real issues, social issues, and have a sense of seriousness. But this year's Oscars included box office hits such as Black Panther and A Star Is Born. What are the criteria for Oscar movies? There are no criteria. It's about good filmmaking. There are no criteria. You cannot say that oh, a musical movie, you know, about a rising young star. Uh, will be、uh, an Oscar-nominated film. You certainly can't say a movie like Bohemian Rhapsody would be interesting. You can't even say that Roma. You know, there's no criteria. It's about fine filmmaking and storytelling. It's about storytelling all the time. It's always about storytelling.、Mm-hmm. The short film Bao took the best animated short film statue at this year's Oscars. What did you think of this film and its Chinese values and cultural elements? I was happy to see it happen. Of course, another a way to express it. Also, it was a fascinating movie, fascinating piece. You know, I learned something from it. My colleague Caroline Wu talking to Hollywood filmmaker Sid Gannis. Now, earlier this month, Disney released a new trailer for its remake of the 1994 animated film *The Lion King*, showing off a new look at the live-action adventures of Simba and Nala. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance. And as anticipation builds for this summer's release, we also caught up with Rob Minkoff, another Hollywood producer and director, best known for co-directing Disney's *The Lion King*. Here's what he had to say: The, the new *Lion King*. Yes. Well, it's gonna. I think it's gonna be a very strange experience to watch it. To be <laughs> honest,、um, you know, I saw the first trailer that came out, and obviously, you know, I was. Surprised at how similar it was to to our film. I expect that the film will be、uh, will differ in many ways. Not just the look of the film, not just the fact that it looks like a live action film, even though people are calling it live action.、Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure it really should be described as a live action film because of the process and the technique that's being used to make the film. But it looks, I suppose, like a live action film. Um, so it'll be very strange experience, I think, very surreal.、Yeah. The difference is that you know, in in a, in character animation, obviously you have the face that's expressive. So in this film, obviously you don't have the the same level of character, and 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 it'll be interesting also because the company obviously,、um, you know, has these characters that we created, the the, the cartoon characters. You know, this, the, what we see, Simba, Nala, Timon, and Pumbaa. We know what they are. Then we know what they look like. They look like characters, so they're never going to be confused with the live-action characters. And it will be interesting to see. But I think in time,、uh, you know, you're not, you won't see the the characters that we all grew up with and know、uh, going away.
in favor of somehow the live action. I can't imagine them having selling you know coffee cups with with a, a, a real lion on it. They might, they will, and probably they'll say Lion King, but I don't think it'll ever replace you know Simba and Mufasa the way we created them. And the circle of life. Incredible experience. Uh, you know, it was a few years ago, and I was much younger then. Uh, but it was, for me, the culmination of my career working at Disney, uh, starting as a, an animator and character designer, um, and working my way up through, through the ranks, and ultimately to make a film that, uh, you know, surprised people. When we first uh, were working on the film, no one knew what it was about, uh, because it wasn't based on a fairy tale or something that was familiar. And so it was uh, quite challenging, actually, to convince uh, even the studio of artists to work on the film because for the very first time in the history at Disney Studio, they were making two films at the same time. One was Lion King and the other was Pocahontas. Mm -hmm. And uh, Pocahontas was actually very much embraced by everyone at the studio. And so many of the top artists wanted to work on Pocahontas rather than Lion King. And so, uh, it, so it was challenging every step of the way. And uh, at the time, you know, we had no way to know that it would, uh, you know, be as successful mm -hmm. as, as it has been. To what does it owe its success to? You think? Um, you know, I think that there's uh, there's it's a universal story mm -hmm. about growing up that I think everyone can relate to and understand. Um, I think animal stories are always inherently interesting for people, and there are not that many of them really. Um, Bambi was a very profound film and experience for a lot of people that saw that. Uh, because it deals with very, you know, sort of big and difficult issues, life and death. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the fact that Simba, the character that we fall in love with, uh, loses his father in the middle of the film, obviously has a big emotional impact on people. Um, but then it's balanced by the humorous elements with Timon and Pumbaa, and obviously the music uh, is very powerful and very, uh, very fun. So it, it really is a big mixture of, of elements, I think, that made it successful. Mm. So you traveled to China for uh, the martial arts movie, The Forbidden Kingdom. What's your experience like working with Jackie Chan and Jet Li? Both amazing to work with. They were so different. Um, Jackie Chan is is, uh, is a lot of fun, yeah. very generous, mm -hmm. uh, and Jet Li is very serious and very devout, uh, and so I would describe people, I would say, Jet Li is a Buddhist, and Jackie Chan is a Buddha. Nice. That was really the difference. I like the it. Two. Nice description. Okay, so uh, do you have any plans on more like China-U.S. co-productions in recent years? Maybe on martial arts or anything? Sure. Well, I mean, uh, there have been a number of co-productions made and that, been, that have been successful, and I'm working on a few different uh, co-production projects that I'm very excited about. Some are animated, some are live action, and some are the combination of both. Mm. Okay. Are there any Chinese actors you would be interested to work with? Well, I'm uh, a big, big fan of a lot of Chinese actors. Um, wow, that's a great question. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, you, you got me. Join the most popular Chinese language learning page on Facebook by searching for CRI Learn Chinese. 
It's a quick yet fun way to achieve your language goals. Start your free lessons now with unlimited videos, photos, and text tutorials on expressions and Chinese culture. CRI Learn Chinese Facebook page. A world opens with 你好。ChinaPlus.cri.cn is your home for everything you want to know about China. The latest news in China and everything China-related from around the world. Everything in focus, all in one place, bringing you vital information for your business and travel. Chinese culture, language learning, and more. ChinaPlus.cri.cn. ChinaPlus.cri.cn. Your portal into today's Middle Kingdom. And to bring this edition of the program to a halt is the award-winning British screenwriter Guy Hibbert, who co-wrote the movie *Common Destiny*, the first ever film to focus on the Belt and Road Initiative. The Belt and Road Initiative is astonishing, and it's exciting, and it's transformative. Transformative in its new trade routes, in the new cities and the ports along those routes, and in developing new industries and partnerships throughout the entire world. But what I love about the premise for our film *Common Destiny* is that the emphasis is on how it will transform the lives of ordinary people. We have five directors telling stories connected to this single narrative, and so our film is what I think is a beautifully told celebration of that common destiny. As the original Silk Road traders enriched the lives of our ancestors, so this new 21st-century Silk Road. Will enrich many people with the exchange of ideas, architecture, engineering, scientific discovery, artistic endeavour. But I think even more important than that, these trading links can be the mechanism through which people can be released out of deprivation and poverty. Those who have been left behind without 21st century innovation, and this is what the Belt and Road Initiative will achieve. It's a fantastic vision. But also, let's not forget the sheer pleasure of what we can all gain in our lives from working together. And this has been a personal reward for me, working with the Common Destiny team. I'm a passionate believer in nations working together, and I'm now looking forward to many more collaborations with filmmakers in China in the future. This truly is our common destiny. Quick check on the weather before we let you go here on the Beijing Hour. Well, the rain that we saw here in the Chinese capital yesterday is behind us, mostly sunshine. The forecast calling for today here in Beijing.、Uh, look for a high of 22 today. Overnight lows dipping down to around eight or so.、Uh, down in the southwest, Chongqing overcast conditions with a chance of rain. High of 26. Low tonight down to 19. Alaska. Late rain there, and a high of 16. Lanzhou, cloudy conditions, a little warmer, high of 27. Recapping your top story: China's navy set to put on a major show this week in Qingdao to mark the 70th anniversary of the PLA Navy's founding. On behalf of the Beijing Hour staff, it's Paul James in Beijing, hoping you'll join us for our next edition of the Beijing Hour to open a window to the world together.